Welcome back from your break. Please open in your scriptures to Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 15. If you're newer to the scriptures, uh, Exodus is the second book in your Bible found in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Exodus is the second book. And we're picking up uh, in chapter 15, a series we began uh, probably six months ago or so, a series we entitled The God Who Makes Himself Known, as we take up the book of Exodus again in this second major section of this magnificent uh, account of the Lord's uh, salvation of His people Israel in the Old Testament. We're calling this section The God Who Provides, and I think it will be evident as we work through these passages together. Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 15. You can follow along at home uh, using either the Gateway app that we provided there on the screen, or um, you can see the screen behind me as it's projected. This is God's word. May he speak to each of us this morning from it. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, 
At evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, and the Lord said to Moses, I have heard heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread then you shall know that I am the Lord your God in the evening quail came up and covered the camp and in the morning dew lay around the camp and when the dew had gone up there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake like thing fine as frost on the ground When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it within Omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Verse 31, now the house of Israel called its name manna. 
It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a tenth part of an ephah. Thanks be to God for his word. This past week in countless uh, high schools throughout the Commonwealth uh, was the midterm exam period for high schoolers, eight through 12th grade or ninth through 12th, however the 400 or so districts constitute that. And coming into that week, you can imagine when it's announced that you have a midterm exam that the anxiety level of many of these students reaches a fever pitch. The midterm exam is a cumulative exam given in a two to three hour allotment. And it differs from school district to school district, but it can be as weighted as, as high as 10 or 15% of your grade for the year. So when it was announced um, that there would be no midterms this year, but instead we would be doing what was called authentic learning, which I won't get into the weeds of that. There was great joy amongst the 140 so students that I had the privilege to serve. And the relief from the sophomores to the seniors was palpable. But it allowed it to be a teachable moment for me with them to ask them, what is it about a midterm exam besides the test itself that causes you to be so anxious? Some of you are extremely good students and others of you work very hard and if the test is fair, it should reward your diligence. So, so, so what is it? And they simply said in so many words, tests are hard and it feels more times than not that they're designed to fail us. And I said, really, my tests? Well, they didn't quite say it so bluntly, but midterms are hard and it feels in light of how difficult they can be that they're not for us, but they're designed to get us, to fail us. None of my students, I think, would have failed due to the midterm, but I appreciated the perspective. They hate midterms. I'm sure many of them hate tests too. Some of them do. This is a passage where the word test is used to describe God's relationship with the people whom he has delivered out of Egypt. We saw it in the opening verses, verse 2, when uh, 
the, um, excuse me, in verse, my chapter was turned over, in uh, verse uh, 26 and 7, and we see it again in the uh, description and the depiction of the provision of the manna, and it is then again in the command for the Sabbath day to be a day of rest from work and worship of the Lord um, in light of his great deliverance. So we want to ask the question as we begin this morning, why does the Lord test his people? What is he wanting to teach his people through the tests that he gives them? And how are these tests that he gives us an expression of his mercy and love and faithfulness to his people and to us? My, my point is simple this morning. God is faithful. He always provides what we need in surprising ways as he teaches to depend on him daily. Let's look at the waters of Merah and Elam in there in chapter 15 and consider how the Lord tests his people for their benefit and his glory and cares for his people even when they fail. And as we go through this story, I want you to ask yourself the question as we go through it, have there been in your week or weeks leading up to this passage some unexpected turn of events where you have felt tested in your faith and shaken in your confidence that the Lord himself would not only provide for you, but that is he up to good in the, in the activities and events that you're walking through. Let's look at the passage together. The Israelites are, are continuing their journey. It has been three days, only three days, three days since the miraculous deliverance by God at the waters of the Red Sea, where he defeated the Egyptian army, and you remember the song of Moses that they sang in chapter 15. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And the people of Israel sang this song with them. And then Miriam in verse 21 of chapter 15 sang to them and danced to them with women playing their tambourine. Sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider been thrown into the sea. I mean, there are few events, if any, in the Old Testament where the supernatural, miraculous deliverance of God is more vividly displayed than what occurred at the Red Sea when two million people walked through it. Three days later, led by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, it's a, it's a journey through a wilderness. It's a journey in an arid place they're thirsty. And when two million people are thirsty, they need a drink. And they've also got livestock who are thirsty. 
And if the livestock don't get a drink, then the livestock may perish along the way. And they come to, remember, they're being led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to the waters of Merah. Looks inviting until they drink it. And here's my simulation of the waters of Merah. Bitter. Mm. Ah, when I was young and I had a sore throat, my mom, who watches these sermons from time to time, made us gargle with vinegar. And that's what this is, vinegar. And if you, with the permission of your parents, children, would like to have a sip of vinegar with me, I brought plenty to share. It's bitter. It does provide some drink, nourishment, but it doesn't taste very good. It's very effective at killing a sore throat. At least it was for me. And Linda apparently had the same experience with her mom, Elizabeth Bennett, and so she passed along that blessing to the children when they were sick. We all need to go to the doctor. Come into the kitchen. We're going to gargle with vinegar. They hated that. And I came in and said, yes, but when I was your age, I gargled with vinegar, and you didn't need your sore throat. Was That's not what happened in this story. In this story, when they drink the water, what did they do? Say the word with me. It's repeated like eight times in the passage. They grumbled. They grumbled against the Lord. Now, remember, the pillar of cloud is right there. They're in the presence of God, and he has been leading them to this place of water that's bitter. And they were delivered supernaturally from the Red Sea. Now, lest you think I'm being self-righteous and critical, I place myself with them in the story. So I'm not taking a heavy-handed, but it's clear from the text that the people grumbled against Moses and said, what shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log or tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And then the Lord said to Israel, through Moses the prophet, 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I, the Lord, am your healer. Note the progression. God leads them to a place of bitter waters. They grumble against the Lord and they grumble against Moses and the Lord responds with blessing. He says to Moses, throw a log into the, the bitter waters and I will make it sweet. There's no mention here of the Lord disciplining them or judging them. He responds in mercy and with compassion. It's stunning. It's stunning because the backdrop of it is 
They were miraculously delivered out of slavery and from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea three days ago, and they're following supernaturally the pillar of cloud by day and the fire of cloud by night, and they grumbled against the Lord when they were thirsty. That's stunning. But what's more stunning, and what I would want you to leave here is the second point. The Lord cares for his people even when we fail. And we see it again in the story of the manna. So ask yourself, how has the Lord tested your faith recently? Where has the, if you allow this, the pillar, if you believe God's providentially ordering your steps, the pillar by day and the cloud, cloud by day, how has the God providentially ordered your steps and led your way to a place where circumstantially, The experience you're having is not one of triumph or blessing, but it's one of uncertainty and may even feel bitter. And it's in that moment that we can identify with the Israelites, perhaps, and say, faced with the uncertainty, in light of the triumphs, do I believe you care for me even when I fail to respond lovingly and faithfully and obediently to you. Let's look at the next test and then consider why does the Lord test his people? The daily lesson of manna, point three. They set out right after coming to Elam. Not only does he make the water sweet, but he brings them to this oasis of 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camp there by, I mean... That's spring training, right? That's, that's where baseball teams go each year around this time. Not this year, but around this time. And 12 springs of water. And I mean, I don't know why they laughed. I mean, really, that sounds delightful as I look outside. But they left because the Lord, through the cloud, moved on. Right? And took them through the wilderness of sin. It's just a name for a desert. It's not an actual place that, where people sin. And on the 15th day, now this is like a month later of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So it's been a month since the Red Sea deliverance occurred. It says the whole congregation, not some, the whole congregation now grumbles against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they say in verse 3, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. So apparently, in Egypt, even though they were slaves, Pharaoh put out a buffet every day for these men and women, and they ate meat pots, right? Like, what's that restaurant we talked about last night, Jacqueline, where we got to go? Was it the fondue place or? Yeah, I forget, but you eat all the meat you want, meat pots. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The Lord's testing their faith again. He's leading them through the wilderness, and yet they're becoming hungry, and the provisions they have for the journey are insufficient. And in their hunger, a month later, they grumble again against the Lord. In fact, to to just be clear, if you read the scriptures honestly, grumbling is repeated over eight times. It's clearly 
an inspired analysis of their attitudes. And how does the Lord respond? He responds by raining, verse 4, bread from heaven for you to gather every day, a daily portion. Why? That I may test them. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, it will be twice as much. And then just to tie them over, apparently that night, the Lord sent quail. It's going to take an evening to prepare this manna in the, in the ovens of heaven. And so it says that meat, quail, descend upon the camp, verse 13. Now, if you're covering a camp of 2 million people, I mean, think of the snowstorm we had. Substitute out quail. That's a lot of meat to eat. That's a lot of mouths to fill with quail. God provides that evening quail. It covers the camp. And then in the morning, this flake-like thing, verse 14, which they've never seen before or experienced finest frost, is there. The people gather it. And then when they describe its taste, verse 31, it tastes like wafers with honey. Now, we've read that so many times at least for me, it doesn't impress me. The Israelites had never tasted honey before. Honey is something that has to be gathered out in the wild. It's a luxury for the rich. It's not cultivated like we have honey in our cabinets for tea. So they're eating a wafer sweetened with honey. Well, kids, God gave them Pop-Tarts. Now, that may be, I don't know, sacrilegious to some of you, but hey, this is a breakfast of champions when I was in school. This is why. I had to catch a bus, and like maybe you, I, I, I was tardy often to the breakfast table. So my mom would make breakfast for the kids before she would go to work, and I'd be late, and so there would be two Pop-Tarts. This is my favorite Pop-Tart, strawberry frosted Pop-Tart. Not honey, strawberry. And I would grab it, and I would hear these loving words. You better not miss the bus today, fella. As I grabbed my Pop-Tarts and ran like a half mile down the street and around the hill and to the bottom to get, but with my Pop-Tarts in hand. Dessert on the road. It was a delicacy. They're eating manna that tastes like honey. They've never tasted it before. It's, a, it's, it's dessert. It's dessert first, I guess. I mean, I don't even know how to wrap around. And it, it's there every day. And who prepared it for them? The Lord. The Lord prepared manna for them and sends it to them in response to their grumbling. That's astonishing. Both because it does remind me again, and it should remind you, as we read from Psalm 103 and other verses this morning, that the Lord is merciful and gracious to grumblers. 
slow to anger, abounding, abounding in steadfast love. So kids, I have more Pop-Tarts if you don't want to have vinegar with me. I have more Pop-Tarts and I can share it with you, but only if you tell your mom and dad, this reminds me of the manna God provided, okay? I've got eight here. I hope you'll come up and take them. Why is the Lord testing his people when he knows full along? He's going to tell Moses to make the water sweet and then send him to Elam. Why is the Lord bringing them to a place in the wilderness where they hunger and they grumble only to know that he's going to now rain from heaven Pop-Tarts? Because he's testing their faith. He's testing their faith in order to deepen their trust in him and daily dependence on the Lord. Why does God lead you? Yes, lead you to places of uncertainty and confusion and even distress and even sometimes despair. If you believe that he's sovereign, then you must argue that he's providentially at work even in these difficult circumstances. Why does he do that when he knows it tests my faith? Because it's teaching you and it's teaching me too It's teaching me to daily depend on him and trust in him. There's two tests in the scriptures. The one we see here and the one we'll see later with Israel. And we see it in the New Testament too. And you both experience it. I do too as we follow Jesus. And our track record's mixed on how we do. There's the test of prosperity. The Lord, as James points out, showers his people with unexpected blessings, and what's to be the response? Thankfulness. That's why the command to give thanks in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is repeated more than almost any other command. Because we experience blessings from the Lord, unexpected. They may not be Red Sea moments, but nonetheless, I mean... For me last night, our son coming home for dinner, joining Jacqueline and I, having a week with Jacqueline while Linda's away, unexpected blessing. The sun was out, even though it was cold, it was beautiful. My car has a slow leak. That's not a blessing. But did I give thanks? Did I actually stop, not subconsciously, and say, Lord, thank you, these expressions of mercy to me? are as real and personal from you as the day you delivered me from sin. Because he's at work. See, if you're not giving thanks regularly and you're struggling to do so, can I suggest to you, the Lord is testing you not to fail you, but to teach you to pass the test of prosperity by cultivating a daily practice of thanksgiving for the mercies he shows you. Lamentations 3, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The smile on my spouse's face, the email or phone call to encourage me from a friend. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. The fact that when I open the scriptures, although I may not understand nine-tenths of what I read, there's one verse that jumps out and I realize God's speaking to me. He wasn't speaking to you through that before you were a Christian. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Thank you. Friends, are we passing the test of prosperity?
through thanks. But then the test of adversity, which is the harder test. It's the harder test for me where it's difficult, we're confused, particularly if it's a chronic trial or there's pain associated with it, but it's also not the, the reality of uncertainty or, or disappointments or, or pick your adversity. God's testing us to see if we'll do what the Israelites failed to do. Look up, see the pillar, I'm speaking to myself, and the cloud, not literally, but God is with me. He has set his love upon me. His spirit is indwelling me. And I have these promises from scripture that can walk with me as I go through the day. So as my faith is being tested by the uncertainty I feel, I can cry out to the Lord and pray for new mercies. Yes? But if I'm not looking up, if I'm not praying, if I'm not reciting promises, if I'm not pulling out Romans 8 from last week and arguing with myself that God absolutely still loves me, am I passing the test of adversity? It's hard for me who gives tests regularly to grade myself and come to that place of saying, very good, even if I grade myself on the curve. But when I do see evidence that I'm actually moving in those directions, I can praise him, right? Because he's teaching me through these testings how to deepen my trust on him and grow in daily dependence on, oh, and by the way, how often are they to gather the manna every day? That's his merciful provision for them every day. Every day God provides manna. It, there's not enough for the next day. No leftovers, Dave. It's, 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 that's tough. No leftover Pop-Tarts. You eat them all. But he says tomorrow I'll provide another honey wafer for you. So we know Jesus took this out of his most famous prayer when he taught the disciples how to prayer, he took this idea that we do not live on bread alone and manna alone and Pop-Tarts alone. And he said, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. He's speaking there clearly about the word of God. Give us this day the word of God because it's the word of God, Bauer Evans, that will reveal new mercies for today. There's new mercies. There's new mercies that we've received already for today. But I don't think they're enough for tomorrow. They're, they, they, maybe there's a, I mean, I don't even know how to parse it, but I know by, I know by Tuesday or Wednesday, I will have forgotten everything I said in this sermon and every song we've sung, and I'll be staring in the face of something. And yet the Lord is saying, when you get up in the morning or when you take a break at lunch or when you get home from work in the evening, open your Bible and there's a new mercy waiting for you there to give you hope, to encourage your faith, to remind you that God's love is abiding, abounding, even when we fail because you are in Christ. In other words, the new mercies that I'm receiving today do not help me with the challenges I know I'm gonna face in 10 or 15 years. They're not for then. 
It's not that I shouldn't think about it or plan about it or talk to people about a plan, but the mercies that I've received today will not address the anxieties that I'm feeling or the confusion that I know I'm going to feel or the despair I may even about 10 or 15 or 20 years or whatever tomorrow. Therefore, today, because they teach me today, right, that the troubles of today are enough Lord, I want to receive your new mercies. I want to put my faith in them and behind each of them rest in your abiding, faithful, steadfast love. And believing that, rest in you. Which brings us to the last part of the passage, the Sabbath rest. So the daily lesson of manna teaches us to receive new mercies. And it helps us to understand the underlying reasons behind the uncertainties we face. that God is teaching us by testing us to depend on him daily for the new mercies that he will provide each day and the strength that they will give to us so that we can entrust him with the rest. What about the Sabbath, the gift of the Sabbath? that we read about at the very end of the passage, and I conclude with this. Beginning in verse 22 and to the end of the chapter, the Lord instructs through Moses and encourages the encampment to set apart the seventh day as a Sabbath unto the Lord, a day of rest from work, and a day of worship and refocusing on the Lord. And so on the sixth day, it says they gathered twice as much bread. And then Moses commanded them in verse 23, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And of course, 27, you had some knuckleheads. I'd be one of them went out. They weren't supposed to to gather, but they found none. And we, re we read of the Lord's grief there in verse 28 and following. And then following this, it says verse 30, the people rested on the seventh day. And Moses is instructed and Aaron implements it that there would be a, a jar full of manna to be a national treasure that the Lord miraculously will preserve the manna, but it is to be kept for the next generation as a reminder and a, a testimony that the people of Israel ate the bread of heaven for 40 years till they came to the promised land. The gift of the Sabbath. The Israelites sought Moses for an explanation of the Sabbath. And Jesus in the New Testament gave his disciples an explanation of the Sabbath and how it points to him. That the Sabbath rest on the seventh day ultimately is a foreshadowing of the Sabbath rest for the people of God, as Jesus describes in the Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. 
when his disciples were accused of not doing what was lawful on the Sabbath by the Pharisees, that the Sabbath rests in Exodus 16. Ultimately, Jesus says, directs our attention to the one who would make his way one day to a hill called Calvary, so that through his sacrifice on the cross, bearing my sins and yours, satisfying God's wrath as our substitute, securing our forgiveness from sin for all who trust in him, we can have peace with God and experience the rest that only his grace can provide because salvation is not by works, but by grace. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, is the fulfillment of all God's promises regarding the Sabbath rest. So when he said to Israel in his day, and he said to me as a teenager, and he says to us again from the pages of Matthew, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The rest that he is speaking of is found through him who came to save me and you from our sins. So that on this Lord's day, on this Sabbath day, we can look back on what Jesus has accomplished and learn to rest in our redemption. To stand in it. To say with the gospel writers that because of Christ, because of Christ, all of my sins are forgiven sins, and now through Christ, I am one of his precious children, set apart through my worship of him. The Sabbath of the Old Testament points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, And it reminds us that there is a rest from our works and religiosity and efforts to earn God's favor. And there is also a promise of an eternal rest. Amen. When his people, I was feeling it when we were singing, and come it be, will be gathered before him. And we will sing on that day. That the Lord is faithful. He has provided what we needed in surprising ways as he taught us to depend on him every day. Behold, the Lamb of God who took away my sins. The weekly gift of the Sabbath encourages you to rejoice in Christ. I trust and I hope that as we gather, that's why you gather. Because the waters of Meir are our biller. And the provision of man in the wilderness requires us to look up. But the gift of the Sabbath invites us to come to him. To come to him. Have you come to him? Show, Lord, by your grace and mercy this week as we come to you. That you love us when we fail you. Reveal again that the things that frustrate us most, that test me most, that I'm afraid of the most, are simply lessons still for me to be learned to daily depend. Move me to open my Bible or my app 
and discover new mercies each day, knowing that these mercies have been prepared by you and they give me hope and comfort and strength for today as I trust you with what remains uncertain in tomorrow. And Lord, keep Sunday the best day. The best day because it's the day we rejoice in what the Lord has done as we rest from our labors for our benefit and for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's stand.